Watch and listen to the talking news every day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. on Channel 96, Comcast Xfinity, and Channel 30, Verizon Fios. It can also be heard Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. and Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. on Channel 9 Xfinity and Channel 29 Fios. Listen anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for the Belmont Media Podcast Network. Now on to the talking news. Selectmen choose new town administrator by Joanna K. Zuvalis. Shirley Town Administrator Patricia Garvin has been chosen as Belmont's next town administrator. After public interviews with the Belmont Board of Selectmen on December 5th, the selectmen voted unanimously to offer Gavin the position of town administrator pending the outcome of the contract negotiations and the background check. Garvin and Maynard's town administrator Kevin Sweet were the two final candidates for the town administrator position selected by the search committee from a pool of 19. Each candidate was asked the same seven questions by selectmen during their separate 45-minute interviews. The first question asked the candidates to introduce themselves providing a brief synopsis of their career and accomplishments and conclude with their best pitch as to how they think their background and experiences would best serve Belmont and deal with the myriad of challenges it faces in the short and long term. Garvin said she wears many hats in her role as town administrator for Shirley. I feel that if Belmont selects me, They will receive a very well-rounded, experienced town administrator, she said. Regarding challenges she may face working with the Board of Selectmen and how she would facilitate conflict between board members and what she would do if she disagreed with the Selectmen, Garvin has, has has three key rules, always be informed and never be surprised. You set the destination point. It's my job as town administrator to figure out how to get there, she said. She said, if there are times she disagrees with the selectmen, if something isn't in the best interest of the town, she would tell them and seek other alternatives that would be in the best interest of the town and inform the selectmen of these alternatives and the consequences. I can't go to bed at night without knowing I did something in the best interest of the town. I'm doing that if I'm giving alternatives and suggestions based on that. Ultimately, it's the Board of Selectmen's decision, she said. Another question she asked to describe her management style, how her subordinates would describe her management style, and how her current and previous bosses would describe her management style. My management style is an open-door policy, said Gavin. She said that she would not micromanage, but, which, but she likes to be kept in the loop. She likes to conduct monthly department meetings. I've grown as a manager in Shirley. The biggest mistake I've seen town administrators do is they come in and start changing everything. I like to listen, absorb, understand, and slowly bring 
all these pieces together and to form a vision I can bring to the town board of selectmen, she said. With regard to planning for Belmont's budget, which is considerably higher than Shirley's $15 million budget, Gavin said that while Shirley has a smaller budget, the process, concept, and goals are the same, she said. She said that she would want to sit down with the town treasurer and accountant and look at the 10-year debt schedule with, uh, with and without capital projects. She mentioned the incinerator site as a potential revenue source to help fund capital projects for the town. It is used for solar development. Her experience in Shirley, she said, has given her a lot of experience with solar development. Williams asked her the final question on how Belmont will benefit from her being the town administrator. What I bring to everything I do is my full effort. If I don't succeed at one thing, I will try another. I don't give up until it's done, and that's what I will bring to Belmont, said Gavin. In Shirley, she said there is a neglected bridge the public works director wanted to have repaired. She said she kept applying for a grant until she finally got it. I don't stop until I feel the town is getting what it needs and what it deserves, she said. Rick White, or Goro White, the consulting firm hired to assist with the search, said both candidates represent the younger and rising stars of the profession. Selectman Adam Dash said he thought either candidate could do a job, but Gavin articulated a vision which he didn't necessarily hear from Sweet. We need vision, heart, and an eye for what we do here, which is to work for the people of Belmont, said Dash. He said Garvin came across as practical, forthright, and persistent. The way she talked and things she said wasn't just a list of accomplishments, he said. It was a statement of purpose and motivation. It's a really tough choice, and she wishes he could hire both, he said. Dash also said he thought Gavin's answers were very honest and didn't sound canned. I know what we're getting if we hire her, he said. Selectman Mark Pelliello said Sweet has strong financial skills and he liked the credentials he had, but Gavin had him on question one when she said that she wanted to give back to the community and see the results of her actions to make improvements. He thought Sweet would do a fine job, but Gavin would have quiet forcefulness and find ways to bring the community together. And over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Two new planning board members appointed by Joanna K. Zuvelis. The Belmont Board of Selectmen unanimously appointed two new full members to the planning board on December 4th to fill the seats vacated by Liz Allison and Barbara Fiacco, who both resigned in October. Thayer Donham, Senior Project Manager for MIT, was appointed to the three-year seat, and Edmund Starzak, Director of Land Entitlements and Master Planning for Mass Development, was appointed to the one-year seat. Fourteen applications for the open positions were received by the November 10th deadline. Planning Board Chairman Charles Clark said he was impressed with the range of applications and the applicants' qualifications. 
background and potential to make contributions. He said when reviewing the potential candidates, he focused on the people who could fill the gaps needed on the planning board who have planning, architectural, and developmental backgrounds. He narrowed his recommendations down to Donham and Starzak. The two new members are hitting the ground running. They got sworn on the morning of December 5 to attend their first meeting scheduled for the same evening. They joined newly appointed associate member Edward Sanderson, who replaced associate member Rafi Manjikian, who resigned in September. Donham, an experienced planner architect. Donham, an architect and city planner, has lived in Belmont for 20 years and has more than 25 years of professional experience. She is currently the project manager for the new MIT Museum in Kendall Square. Donham has been a town meeting member since 2001 and was a member of the Belmont Center Planning Group 2007 and 8. She received her bachelor's degree from Wesleyan University and her master's degree in architecture from the University of Oregon. She and her husband, Ted George, raised their two children, Hannah and Ian, in Belmont. I felt like this was the one opportunity I'd seen in a long time, said Donham. She said, if special town meeting passed the citizens' petition to make planning board members elected instead of appointed, she would not have run. She plans to do a lot of reading to get up to speed on the current cases coming up and reacquainting herself with the zoning ordinance and maps. I think I have more experience in design, site planning, and architecture, and I think I will round out the other expertise on the planning board, she said. Starzak brings real estate economic development skills. Starzak has lived in Belmont for 11 years with his wife, Amy, and their 14-year-old daughter, Helena. He has 20 years of experience in urban planning and real estate development. He received his bachelor's degree in English from Hamilton College and his master's degree in regional planning from Cornell University. Starzak started out in the private sector and moved into his current position since 2006 as the senior planner for mass development, the Commonwealth's primary economic development agency. My experience with economic development around the Commonwealth and working with private developers will prove useful as the town moves forward, said Starzak. Starzak also applied to the planning board eight years ago, but was not appointed. He recently served as a member of the Warrant Committee for two years, but needed to resign for health reasons. Now, over to Max. Thanks, Claire. <clears throat> the Opioid Crisis by April Berry Fletcher. According to a report by CNN in January 1980, excuse me, according to a report by CNN, in January 1980, the New England Journal of Medicine published a letter by Jane Porter and Dr. Herschel Jick, in which they discussed their analysis of 11,882 patients who were treated with opioid pain medicine, stating, quote, 
the development of addiction is rare in medical patients with no history of addiction, unquote. This is but one of the many glowing and reassuring endorsements issued by the medical and pharmaceutical communities. Unsurprisingly, the National Institute of Health reports the number of opioid prescriptions crept from 71 million in 1991, earning over $1 billion for the pharmaceutical industry, to 259 million prescriptions in 2015, netting the pharmaceutical industry over $10 billion. I am told that the street cost of opioid pain relief medication ranges from $5 to $60 per pill, depending on, upon the strength and where it is sold, with carfentanil, a horse tranquilizer, fetching the higher price. Because of the cost and scarcity, users switch to heroin, which is a synthetic version of morphine, and is both cheaper and more widely available. Mark Maurer, director of the Sentencing Project, an organization that investigates and exposes racial disparities in criminal justice, notes that contemporary opioid users and distributors are disproportionately white males, and the drugs are widely perceived as an accidental addiction that follows their prescription for legitimate medical needs. Consequently, opioid addictions are directly or indirectly associated with a medical need and the medical community rather than criminality. In turn, the perception of a benign origin to the addiction translates to a gentler approach by the criminal justice system. Public health initiatives, including drug courts and other forms of therapeutic jurisprudence, in response to opioid addiction stand in stark contrast to the draconian mandatory sentences imposed during the war on drugs. Although an incarceration is a poor substitute for treatment, our seemingly benevolent neglect to what is widely viewed as a medically created social problem means we have not developed a coordinated, coherent response to the opioid addiction epidemic. Just as my well-intended overpayment to Tom only served to perpetuate his drug use, so too has the relative non-response of criminal justice, public health, and health care providers. What is it about this drug that is so attractive to so many? What are opioids, and why do we love them? The Drug Enforcement Agency defines heroin as a Class I drug because it has a high potential for addiction and no accepted medical use. Prescription opioids, such as buprenorphine, Percocet, morphine, and hydrocodone, are a Class II drug because they carry a high potential for abuse and have accepted medical use with severe restrictions. According to the National Institutes of Health, opioids take their toll not only when we are high from them, but even more so when we are not. This is because our brains naturally generate opioid-like substances. When we're having fun, enjoying a good meal or sex, naturally, naturally occurring opioids are transported through the blood to the brain where they bind to opioid receptors. In turn, one part of the brain tells another to release the chemical dopamine, which activates the brain regions associated with feelings of love, pleasure, peace, and tranquility. When we take synthetic opioids such as heroin, oxycodone, and Percocet, the same pleasurable biochemical brain processes are intensely activated. <clears throat> These neurobiological pathways are unique to opioids, 
and are important to our understanding of opioid addiction for two reasons. The first is how we remember our experiences of being high. The second is because of the damage done to the brain. When we remember what it was like to be high on opioids, the memory is imbued with this exaggerated sense of euphoria or bliss that was experienced during the high. Add to this the effects of classical conditioning, which come into play more so with this drug than with most others because of the areas of the brain affected. When we have very emotionally intense, pleasurable experiences, we associate the people, places, and other aspects of the environment with them. Thus, the places, people, or things associated with opioid use elicit strong urges to return to the experience of bliss and happiness associated with the high. The damage to the brain further complicates matters. As the artificial sources of, source of pleasure, the drug, subsides, the brain's natural ability to feel these pleasurable emotions diminishes. Because of the disruption in the brain's reward system, the brain comes to need the drug, not just to feel good, but to feel normal. To feel high is another story altogether. It requires ever-escalating amounts of the drug, making the euphoria felt with the first high unattainable. Many who become addicted to opioids become disinterested in relationships with friends and family and in their jobs. Supportive friends and family grow frustrated, angry, and suspicious. Out of a need for self-protection, they may distance themselves from the self-centeredness, the stealing, lying, and manipulation often exhibited by drug-seeking people. As the person stops using the drug, they are less able to feel connected to others, to experience positive emotions, or to feel a sense of reward for their efforts. The only solution to this problem seems to be the problem itself. Use of opioids relieves these terrible feelings and restores a sense of normalcy while also drawing the, deeper, the user deeper into addiction. Because of this cycle, the National Institute on Drug Abuse advises the treatment of withdrawal symptoms as the initial focus for treatment, followed with behavioral and pharmacological st strategies for relapse prevention. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. Magical Night for Town's Christmas Lighting by Joanna K. Zuvalis. Santa and Mrs. Claus arrived in style on a Belmont fire truck for Turn on the Town, the annual tree lighting ceremony in Belmont Center, which took place on Thursday, November 30th. After switching on the lights to the town tree in front of Belmont Cafe, Santa and Mrs. Claus boarded a horse-drawn carriage which transported them to Belmont Savings Bank to take photos with visitors. Jerry Dickhart, owner of Champions Sporting Goods and president of the Belmont Center Business Association, a major sponsor of the event, believes that it was one of the most successful years ever. This, there was plenty of entertainment for all ages, including live singing with the Belmont High School Magic Drills, face painting, cupcakes and photo opportunities, and characters from the movie Frozen. This year's Turn on the Town was a tremendous success with a great turnout in Belmont Center, said Bob Mahoney, president and CEO of Belmont Savings Bank. 
The bank was once again thrilled to play a part in the festivities, including Santa photos in our branch, the petting zoo in the garage, and free hot chocolate and train rides on Moore Street. Overall, it was a very positive and festive evening. And over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. New stores open in Belmont Center. Homeware stores Didrick's and Local Root, the kitchen store, now open at 77 Leonard Street. Didrick's and Local Root has moved their Cambridge location to a new space in Belmont Center, 77 Leonard Street. A grand opening was held December 2nd and 3rd. The former Macy's building on Leonard Street has been remodeled to include several new tenants, including locally owned stores, Didrick's, and Local Route. The property is located right off the Route 2 corridor and is only 10 minutes from Cambridge. The new development is one of the most exciting retail developments in the greater Boston area, said owner Jonathan Henke. The close to 4,000 square foot space will feature two floors of products for the home. Local Route, the kitchen store, hosts a selection of cookware, bakeware, knives, and kitchen accessories from brands including Breville, Le Creuset, Allclad, Staub, and Zwilling. It will be located on the upper level. Didrick's, on the lower level, will showcase fine outdoor furniture, linens, dinnerware, glassware, and home accessories. Featured brands include Alessi, Brahms Mount, Chilowich, Libico, Simon Pierce, and more. Additionally, customers will enjoy plenty of parking and a wide variety of other shops in the area. The store will be handicap accessible and will be open seven days a week. About Didrick's and Local Route. Since 2004, Didrick's has helped customers create inspired home environments, showcasing fine outdoor furniture, tableware, and home decor products sourced from the United States and Europe. Local Root, the kitchen store, opened in 2012, provides a curated selection of kitchen tools. Now over to Max. Thanks, Claire. Lights, camera, Lions Club. Actor and Cambridge native Matt Damon went good tree hunting in Belmont, December 3rd, in the company of his nephew and his brother Kyle. The trio was spotted shopping for a Christmas tree this past Sunday at the annual Lions Club tree and wreath sale, which itself is no strangers to celebrity sightings. The Lions Club publicity chairman, Ken Krilla, said the star, who got his big break in 1997's Goodwill Hunting, was no different than the other shoppers. He was very cool, he said. Damon posed for pictures with Lions Club members as well as the few fans who asked. His brother has been a regular to the tree sale for many years. They love how we give back, said Krilla. They get a great tree and we're able to give back to the community. This year, the Lions Club is donating to Adaptive Sports New England and Belmont Sport. The donations come from a tip jar left out every day the tree sale is going on. Shoppers can choose to place any amount in the jar. The money is given to the charity recipients at a dinner hosted by the club after the holidays. They, the Damons, could have spent their money anywhere, but they chose us, said Krilla. 
The club started the tree and wreath sale back in 1957, making this the year this year's sale their 60th. Around 2,300 are sold, are sold are delivered each year, starting on the th- the Saturday after Thanksgiving. The Lions Club wreath and tree sale at one, at one Common Street is currently ongoing Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. and weekends 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. until all the trees are gone. By the time the members by that time the members are all exhausted, said Krilla. But we love what we're doing. Krilla said Matt Damon wasn't the biggest celebrity to show up on December 3rd. That would have been Santa, who arrived by train, he said. Back to you, Bob. Sniffing Out the Right Gift for Fido by Mary Rains. It's time to stuff a stocking for your favorite friend, family member, and personal companion, your pet. From squeaky toys to sweaters and special treats, local pet supply stores have it all, and your staff are experts on the latest and greatest products. Don't leave your fuzzy friend out of the holiday celebrations. Check out your local pet store, and you're sure to stumble upon an unexpected treat or toy that will catch your or your pet's fancy. Toys. One of my favorite toys is called Hide a Bird or Hide a Squirrel, and it's an interactive toy. For Hide a Bird, there is a plush birdhouse with squeaker birds inside. You push them all inside the birdhouse, and the dog is occupied by pulling them out. It's good for any dog that has boredom. Another toy is called Dog Petapoles. It's made of eco-friendly recycled fabrics, and it has tags, tugs, excuse me, first areas, five areas that the dog can actually tug and pull. For cats, I recommend toys made by the company Kong. We have ones that are made with natural materials, and they have catnip in them. A lot of our cat toys are made with feathers or some sort of fluffy material that cats are naturally drawn toward. Treats. For dogs, we have a treat that's called Carnivore Crunch, and it's made by Stella and Chewy. These treats are made in the U.S. They're grain-free, and dogs go crazy for them. It's unbelievable. They also make a meal mixer for dogs that are picky about their food. You can just spread this on top of their food, and once again, they go crazy for it. It's good for the dogs that might be away from their homes or may be stressed. They gobble their food up even if they're in a situation that's new to them. One of our most popular things that is in the category of keeping your pet calm is Pet Naturals of Vermont. They are calming treats for dogs and cats. We carry treats with yogurt toppings, as well as a range of farm animal parts, lamb's ears, pig's ears, hoofs, antler ears, and more. Most of the stuff that we carry is made in the U.S. We also have odorless bully sticks, which are good for puppies to gnaw on. They will keep your dog really active or quiet. We can carry birthday cakes and Bones with yogurt toppings. The bones come from foppers 
Gourmet Dog Treat Bakery in Indiana. We also bake treats during the holidays. They come right out of my kitchen. We will be offering these starting two weeks before Christmas. Another local product are cod skins right off the Boston docks. We carry Celtics collars, leashes, and sweaters. We also have Patriots collars, leashes, and harnesses, as well as matching toys. We don't have a lot of Bruins accessories, but we definitely have Red Sox stuff. We also have flex leashes and gentle leader collars. Those go over the nose, kind of like a horse halter, so you're not pulling on the dog's neck. And now, over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. The snowflake tradition continues at Belmont High School. The Belmont Belton Belmontian Club continued its snowflake fundraiser for community servings families this November. Each year, the club adopts nine people to fulfill their holiday wish lists. This year, the three families the club adopted wished for items such as coats, boots, hats, scarves, and gloves. The club learns only the ages, genders, and wishes of the people they adopt. To raise money for the families, the Belmontian Club holds fundraisers such as bake sales and selling snowflakes. The club sells over 1,000 snowflakes. The snowflakes are $1 each or $1.50 with a candy cane included. The students involved assemble the snowflakes and deliver them the week before winter break. The Community Servings is a nonprofit organization located in Jamaica Plain, which delivers approximately 675,000 meals to 2,000 critically ill individuals and their families in eastern Massachusetts. Snowflakes is the event that, to me, contributes most to other people directly, co-president of the Belmontian Club, Sophia Slosman, said. We get to see the whole process from planning and shopping to fundraising and understand how much they deserve what we are doing. And now, here's Max. Thanks, Claire. Curling to be added to the Bay State Games. The Bay State Games announces that curling will be added to its 2018 winter program as an exhibition sport. Curling has gained popularity since the sport was re-established consistently in the Olympic Games in 1998 after first being debuted in the 1924 Olympics. As an, an exhibition sport in 2018, the competition will be comprised of eight teams from curling clubs across Massachusetts. When curling is incorporated into the regular Bay State Winter Games program in the 2019 Games, the competition will be opened up to the general public as well as clubs from the northeastern United States. The curling competition will take place on, February, on Saturday, February 24th at the Boys and Girls Club in Pittsfield. Spectators are encouraged to come, enjoy the competition, and learn more about curling. Over to you, Bob. Along with my colleagues Claire and Max, we'd like to wish you a happy Hanukkah and a Merry Christmas, and we thank you for listening to the Talking News and hope you have enjoyed the show. We will return next week for another edition of Local News Happenings Around Belmont.